Welcome to the Innovation Roundtable Insights Podcast. This episode was recorded at an Innovation Roundtable workshop hosted by Airbus in Toulouse in March 2019, where our colleague Leonard sat down with Ivanka Vishnich, Associate Professor at the Department of Operations, Innovation, and Data Sciences at Assad Business School. Ivanka starts the conversation by tackling the challenges that companies face during servitization. Furthermore, she suggests companies follow a gradual approach to servitization based on following the customer lead to creating basic services and then progressively improving them. Finally, she talks about the importance of having a strong leadership and vision when deploying new services. Ivanka, thank you very much for your presentation once again. And Thanks for your invitation, Leonard. And uh, thank you for joining me in, uh, in this little studio here. Uh, maybe we can start the interview by you just briefly explaining uh, who you are, what research organization you work at, and what kind of your research field is. Sounds great. So I'm, uh, I'm a professor at Esade Business School in Barcelona. Uh, we're an international business school uh, with uh, presence worldwide, um, ranked quite highly, top 10 in Europe. Um, and uh, my day-to-day -day job involves teaching innovation and doing research in the area of innovation as well. I lead our uh, Institute for Innovation and Knowledge Management. My particular focus and area of expertise and interest concerns technological innovation and business model innovation. And today I've been uh, focusing on service business models in particular and how companies change their technology, uh, how they develop services and how they develop digital expertise in order to reach customer outcomes and um, service their customers better. Yeah, today you've presented basically kind of from how from service and servitization how it went more to outcomes in, in the end. Isn't everything about digital today or uh, how, how do you think about that? So, I, I tend to disagree. So, <laughs> I believe that digital is extremely important. It's one of the capabilities that all the companies that I've worked with and studied have been debating, have been focusing on over the past decade or more. But digital is a means to an end. Uh, I would argue it's all about what job you want to do for your customer or what of his or her jobs you're, you're responsible for. And then sometimes offering digital service is going to be the answer because that is the best way to get there. And sometimes it's going to be physical service because customer wants an experience or face-to-face -face conversation. So yes, digital is entering more and more uh, where we need efficiency, automation, and uh, we don't simply need that physical interface. Now, especially talking about large companies, what is some of the maybe one of the major challenges of uh, moving towards kind of more service models and, and doing that transformation, that business model transformation also in, in many of the offerings that are then uh, on the table? So the challenges are around two things, mindsets and investments. Uh, imagine working for a company that has developed its expertise, its superiority in the marketplace on the basis of your engineering capabilities and outstanding products. 
And now you are being asked to provide support services for that, those magnificent products and take them as seriously. That's a big mindset shift, right? It's a big mindset shift to focus on use and on the customers instead of the products, right? And the second thing is investment. Again, imagine those magnificent products and you want to make them even better. You want to automate them. You want to reach that new technological platform. But now you need to take away a bit of that, those investments and put them in the services. So these are the challenges, right? Now, how do you resolve them as a large company? Um, I have a particular uh, thoughts about that. Um. When you think about, yeah, maybe you can uh, elaborate a bit on the on the thoughts you have. Sure. So um, I think there are pretty much three things that need to happen in order for organization to shift from uh, product to the service mindset. The first one has to do with a vision, leadership with a vision. Companies I worked with had strong leaders that were conscious about the importance of service development in order to better satisfy customer needs. The second is the investment and service independence. So setting up services as a separate business unit, giving it independence, structural independence, and the role where it reports directly to the top management ensures that it's recognized as a with a PL responsibility and that what comes with that is the uh, ability to invest and develop as a business as well, right? So separate cultures, separate capabilities, and, um, and also a uh, separate, separate business model. Now, that gets me to the third uh, objective that I think is very important, and that is redeveloping the relationship to the products. There are so many complementarities and synergies between products and services and keeping strong separation between products and services would damage, uh, damage those, uh, those synergies. So uh, reconnecting, using insights from servicing to develop better products, using service relationship to sell new products um, is, is the right way to go. And then resolving operational conflicts and challenges that may arise uh, with new systems and practices. Let's say that there is a, a need or a step uh, from a large company to, to step up in the, in the services uh, space, basically. What are some of the considerations to take when deciding to, you know, high, how high the degree of servitization should be? Um, of, you know, starting smaller with bundling maybe services around or really trying to uh, go into the core offerings as well and trying to servitize them. What are some of the considerations to take when wanting to do more in services, basically? So I think there as well, the easiest way to go about is to start from your customers and talk to them, right? See what is it that they, that they need, what kind of services they need. The companies that I have been uh, looking at usually take the gradual approach you, you, um, you mentioned, also known as climbing the service ladder, uh, which starts with some basic services that are close in capabilities to the products, for example, spare parts delivery, uh, and then evolving gradually as you're developing your service uh, capabilities, as you develop your service organization as well, to more advanced services. Uh, 
preventative maintenance, performance-based contract, remote monitoring optimization. Now we're getting more towards the digital as well. Uh, so yes, uh, I would say follow the customer's lead and then uh, go gradually uh, if the competitive situation allows you to. Concerning some other considerations, as you mentioned, uh, the service potential uh, oftentimes is limited by the value of the asset and how critical it is for, uh, for functioning, how critical it is for, uh, for the client's functioning. Uh, so take, for example, a very small industrial drill, right? That's uh, inexpensive, it's not mission critical. Probably service potential there will be slightly lower than if you're talking about very complex piece of equipment that uh, if it stops, uh, completely uh, stops customers uh, functioning or it cannot be delivered or health has some health considerations uh, or, or um, some, some safety risks. So these are, these are the, the considerations. How much services will actually create value for the customers and alleviate some of his most pressing pains? When you think about uh, some of the terms we discussed today, we had kind of servitization and also business model innovation. How do they relate or how are they kind of interconnected and relate? How would you kind of describe those, uh, those two to each other? Sure. So servitization is, well, at least that's what my thesis says, so I, I cannot deviate too far from it. But it's pretty much a shift towards a service business model or addition of a service business model to a product business model and later on replacing the two with the outcome or adding an outcome business model where you provide a performance-based contract for example. Um, now that's one business model innovation. There are many others, right? You can also provide a low frill or cheap uh, version of your own product. Uh, I mean, we've seen no frill airline business models coming up. So long story short, um, service business model is one type. It's very dominant type. Um, but perhaps another one that's quite interesting and very popular nowadays is a platform business model, of course, uh, where you're an intermediary between your users and some, some of the complementers or collaborators on your platform. But yes, different versions of business model innovation. What is important basically when you think about um, service business models, and then that relates a bit to the, one of the first questions, and then digital and digital transformation. I, is that going hand in hand, or how should it also be communicated and handled from an organizational perspective or navigated um, in kind of on that journey uh, towards uh, providing more digital and service-based models. So today's um, one of the breaks today. I had a great conversation with uh, one of the attendants that that made a very good point. He said, "I'm waiting for you guys to talk about convergence," and I said, "I I cannot agree more. I think that the interface uh, between technology and product innovation." digital and services is hugely important, mm. right? If you do it right, you're accomplishing that goal, which is solving customers' problem to the most optimal way, right? But there are so many ways to go wrong as well. Imagine 
for example, something that serves people always fear, and that is that the product uh, managers will take ownership of the digital and package it as a product and try to sell that without making the best value out of out of the out of the data and out of the um, out of the um, insights that are reached through the digital platforms, right? Uh, I think it's important to take it all together and see where the interfaces are and how you actually uh, bundle it all together. You, you mentioned right away from the start, I mean, customer needs, customer needs, customer needs, that's kind of the starting point. Uh, how do you get those, those insights uh, around those needs? Is it different than in you know, traditional product, industrial product? development basically uh, than in services and how do you have to engage or how do you com how can you pull out those insights uh, in a different way when you have been used to really uh, looking for insights for more than the hardware industrial uh, developments so that's a very good very good question um, I think there are some things that are transversal and that uh, some approaches that are useful for product services and digital and that is really that deep ethnographic studying of your users and understanding of what their customer journey looks like. And that is true for um, new products that are expected to be of much better user interface than perhaps 20 years ago. That is certainly true of services and it's also true of digital. Perhaps digital has been the most successful in that area of uh, developing user interface. Um, some differences exist in terms of um, the level of standardization, right? On the service side, for example, uh, one of the major factors in the success of service is how well trained your service and how happy your service personnel is. So there you also have to think in terms of how am I going to uh, make sure that I have the, the right service model in addition to whatever my offering or value proposition looks like on paper, right? Um, and in terms of digital, um, it's, it's a combination of the two, right? It's the product, it's also the interface, it's, it's what, what sits behind the platform as well, potentially some complementers if we're talking about the platform. So how do you make your complementers happy there is also a question. Besides that, those ethnographic deep understanding of the customers, it's also important to keep in mind that not all customers are equally ready for new experiences. And identify first those who are early adopters that will work with you to bring to market those innovative services and digital offerings and then who, what you need to do with that, those services and products in order to give them in the hands of the early majority, uh, which are the, the people that represent a bigger proportion of your market and that will help you scale. Now let me ask you if, mm -hmm. if there's a, now there's a bit of an understanding in the company about services and there is an idea of how to start. And now the question is like, who is going to do it? capabilities and skill sets how do you uh, develop those or how do you make sure that then you get into services and also have uh, 
people in the organization uh, being able to, to execute on those. So, as so first it comes with the vision and uh, the leadership, right? Without top management interest in developing services as a business, it is hard to advance. Once that is there, once there is a visionary leader that sees the value, sees the potential uh, for satisfying customers, but also for growth and the profitability of the company and sustainability of that competitive advantage in services, it's important to make investments. And some of the skills that we have seen are, and, and resources that are particularly relevant for services have to do with, for example, service sales. Selling products and selling services is very different. Products are sold oftentimes on tangible features and uh, tangible uh, characteristics and services you basically need to sell on the basis of the value that they delivered for the customers. Uh, service marketing equally important, right? For the same reasons, developing those services, uh, learning how to uh, bring them uh, bring them to the customers is important. Um, service innovation and data analytics, um, then collaboration with products for the use of sensors and Internet of Things in order to put to, to, to develop the data analytics capability are some of the other investments that have proven to be important for more advanced services like monitoring, uh, optimization, and later on automation. Um, all these investments rarely happen in the existing product in organization. Setting up a separate service organization is very important because because of several reasons. First, because of the PNL, as I mentioned earlier, uh, it shows the contribution of the services, which is oftentimes uh, underrepresented. Secondly, it helps make these investments, prioritize them, allocate them properly. Uh, but even going beyond just you know numbers, it's very important for psychological reasons and for signaling. Having a separate organization signals that this is a career trajectory now. You can become a VP or a president of services. Services are not just support, right? They are equal partner to the product organizations. Uh, and that helps you attract the best managerial talent that can make all that happen and that can make those investments worthwhile. Now we're going to, uh, to the last uh, two questions probably. What um, if you uh, if you now think about a way of testing uh, service models? What is a good approach to testing and measuring on them and trying to figure out what kind of service model uh, works the best and and who do you test it with uh, as well? And customers is that's uh, that's for sure. But which kind of customers are you selecting? Maybe you have some ideas of. Of, of how to really make sure that you get the service model right uh, in the beginning in the in the testing phase. Okay, so when you say service model, do you mean what your service is? Like, for example, am I developing the right preventative maintenance model? Yes, for example, or the um, am I developing basically uh, there is this power by the hour or. Okay. 
more, more those uh, outcome models or is it only a service model that is maybe not that far servitized, servitized if, if I can call it? So how do you find the balance and how do you find exactly the right uh, service model that, that will work for, for a group of customers? Got it. So two parts of answer to your question. So on the first uh, side, if you're asking me, how would you Ivanka develop a new service? Um, I would go back to the uh, close collaboration with the customer and development of pilots. Whether this is just a preventative maintenance contract or it's a um, availability contract that guarantees all sorts of uh, conditions or, uh, or, or uh, hedges against all sorts of, uh, sorts of issues that the customer may have. So no matter how, how developed the services, uh, you you would want to first uh, speak with your customers and develop it and test it with them, right? Test those concepts with them. Let me ask you just, uh, are those specific customers? Who, which kind of customers are you looking for? Often you have uh, many customers. Is there a specific characteristic you would look for? Yeah. So you would start from your early adopters. Uh, you would want to develop this with the customers that you know are most advanced in their, their thinking and ready to help you with that, uh, with that process. So the most interesting, interested ones, right? And they, they will help you through the first teething issues as you're developing your service while it's not working very well, while you're still training your technicians, for example. Now, of course, that is not 90% of your customer base, right? 90% of your customer base wants seamless service that is working very well. So at one point, as you have developed your initial concept for a service, you will want to uh, understand what your early majority customers, the more conservative customers that are looking for more efficiency, more um, uh, less hurdles who are not as patient with you maybe as your early adopters and there uh, th these customers uh, are the ones that you need to seek yourself the early adopters are usually your friends they're the ones that answer your survey they're the ones that want to try to help you you know bu build a better service they're the ones that will send you an email if they're if they have an idea of how things can work better right the early, uh, uh, early majority are the customers that you need to go to. They're the ones you need to convince. And then that's the second group. So this is concerning your first question, how you develop a service, right? Uh, and that's first part is finding the problem solution fit with the early adopters and then product or service market fit with a significant enough proportion of the customers. Now concerning the type of the model of services from the perspective of the maturity level. Are we talking about spare parts, ad hoc maintenance, for example, preventative maintenance, or some of the availability contracts? There, there are two metrics that we have actually, we have published on this in the California Management Review in a couple of years back. One metric has, is called one-to-one -one ratio often, and it has to do with the number of number of your products that are, that are being serviced or not population of the products you're looking at it might be only yours it could be also co your competitors 
that you're looking to service. So that will give you an idea of what's your footprint or service footprint. Uh, the second metric that's usually useful is called the share of customers' wallets. That's what in the industry they often uh, use to describe it. And that has to do with the part that of servicing that you're doing yourself versus the one that customer has to do because you're not doing it, right? And so if you think about the lifestyle, life cycle or the a lifetime cost of a product, let's assume that you're dealing with a piece of equipment that lasts 10 years, ha you have to spend 100,000 euros to buy it, 100,000 over 10 years to service it, and 800 in terms of energy costs to keep it running. Now, your customer wallet is a million euro, right? If you're selling just your product, you're, you have 10% of it. If you're providing some services, maybe 15% of it. Can you minimize the energy cost? Can you make your product more energy efficient? Could you use services to optimize it? Right, so this is a good second metric. It is how much of the value that there is am I tapping into? Thank you very much once again for your presentation and uh, thank you for that interesting and uh, pleasant conversation just now. My pleasure. Thanks a lot, Leonard. Thanks. The video version of this podcast can be accessed via innovationroundtable.online. The Innovation Roundtable online network is your portal to a wide variety of exclusive content, including video presentations, interviews, insights reports, and articles. Not only that, innovationroundtable.online is also a place where you can connect with other corporate innovators, share experiences, request collaborations, and gain inspiration from your peers. Our network is exclusively for innovation practitioners in large firms. So visit innovationroundtable.online to discover more and request your seven-day free trial account.